Welcome to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast that takes you freewheeling down the great internet rabbit hole of trivia. Each week we pick a starting point and then who knows where all the twists, turns and tangents will take us. But we'll be sure to unearth a treasure trove of frivolous facts that will be as fascinating as they are, well, useless. When One Thing Leads to Another is produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. Our theme music is by Justin Mitchell. This is Series 2, Episode 19. Glastonbury. So Glastonbury's coming up soon. It is at time of recording. At time of recording. You've been to Glastonbury many times, haven't you? I have had the pleasure of going seven times, five of which were mud fests, unfortunately. And you know how on the telly they say, oh, it's absolutely lashing down with rain, but it's not killing the spirit of Glastonbury and everybody's having a great time. Bullshit. (laughs) I've been there and it can be utter bloody misery. There you go. There's the real truth about a rainy, (laughs) muddy Glastonbury. Thank you. Wow, you really get into the spirit of things, don't you, (laughs) Grandad? Fortunately, the two which were sunny, or at least didn't rain, were absolutely fantastic. How good it is, is determined entirely by the weather. Is it entirely by the weather? Pretty much. If it's dry and nice, then it's the best place in the entire world to be. But I'll tell you what, if it's lashing down with rain, it's the worst place to be. Um, I haven't been to Glastonbury, unfortunately. I have been to Reading and other smaller festivals. Tell me then, now that you've moaned about it, can you think of a highlight? What's been your, you know, maybe the best act you saw at Glastonbury? Um, Okay, well, I've got two stories there. One is I saw, back in the day, Gomez, and they played as the sun was setting. Oh, nice. And that was a really nice thing to see. And I also, Glastonbury is also the location of my biggest life regret. Okay, which is? Well, I went the year that David Bowie headlined the Pyramid stage Mm. and uh, old shit for brains here, went to see Basement Jacks instead. Wow. It is a a decision that I have to live with every day of my miserable life. Anyway, (laughs) Glastonbury is coming up and we've got Elton John, Guns N' Roses, Queens of the Stone Age, Arctic Monkeys and Rick Astley. Oh, Rick Astley's playing. Yeah. Is he? Uh, They're among the artists who are playing. Elton will be playing the last UK show of his farewell tour on the Pyramid stage. Yeah. That will be good, I imagine. He's quite a big hitter, isn't he? Because we've been recently having the conversation of who is there left? They're either dead or they've already played. You know, who's going to headline Glastonbury in the future? We did work out recently that Madonna has never played Glastonbury, so... Yeah, she could be on the list. And I, and I was saying that Kate Bush would be quite the uh, yes. quite the ruse as well, wouldn't it? Mysteriously, I don't know if you read about this, an unknown band called the Churnups are set to play the Pyramid stage on Friday evening. Oh, right. And the group does not exist Ooh. on streaming services, so rumours have begun circulating that it's in fact a surprise guest with possible candidates including Blur and Pulp. Oh, okay. Or maybe a churn-up of Blur and Pulp. It could be a supergroup, mate. Blur, Pulp. Anyway, but back to the big star, Rick Astley. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course, Elton John. Elton Hercules John, Right, ooh. Yeah, born, of course, Reginald Kenneth Dwight. Classic name. Do you know what his first hit was? His first hit record? No idea. Oh, you don't know. Okay. It was your song. 
Okay. Yeah, it was recorded in January 1970 and released in October 1970. And did you know your song was first released by American rock band Three Dog Night in March 1970 as an album track on It Ain't Easy. Well, that's all come as a huge surprise to me. Yeah, Elton John was an opening act for the band at the time and allowed them to record it. Uh, they didn't release it as a single as they wanted to let Elton John, then an upcoming artist, have a go with it. <laughs> how, how big of them? Now, have you heard of Three Dog Night? No, I can't say I have. OK. They were an American rock band who had their most prolific time in the late 60s, early 70s, largely across the pond in America. Right. They did a lot of covers. Their most famous hit, well, most famous for me anyway, was Joy to the World. Joy to the World. Yeah. No, no, not that one. Not the Christmas Carol, no. It's not familiar to me. Okay. Well, Joy to the World was written by Hoyt Axton. Oh, I. Is that name familiar to you? Absolutely not. Well, he was an American singer-songwriter and guitarist and actor, and he played Billy's dad in The Gremlins. <laughs> so, you know, Billy's dad goes and gets that, buys that mysterious yeah. creature from that mysterious character. Oh, I. That's, that's Hoyt Axton. And retracing my steps just for me now. He... He wrote Joy to the World, which was Three Dog Night's biggest hit. And they... They were the first to record Elton John's Your Song. Thank you very much. Interestingly, on Hoyt Axton, his mother, May Boren Axton, was also a songwriter. Oh, yeah. She co-wrote Heartbreak Hotel. No way. Yeah, which became, obviously, the major hit for Elvis Presley. And May Boren... Axton introduced a 19-year-old Presley to Colonel Tom Parker after a performance in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, goodness me. Yeah. So she is right there at the birth yeah. of rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. Actually, some of Hoyt himself, some of Hoyt's own songs were later recorded by Presley. So mother and son were quite prolific songwriters. Anyway, to Gremlins... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we watched Gremlins a couple of Christmases ago, didn't we? We did. It's an interesting film, isn't it? It is. It's sort of fun and crazy. It is. It's um, it's a right romp. Yeah. I remember certainly as a kid, it was it was the film to see. Oh, yeah, we watched it at a birthday party and um, us girls, I think it was, I don't know, a 10th birthday party or something, and we enjoyed screaming a lot, which must have really pleased the parents of who were, I can't remember whose house it was at, but we just sat screaming at everything. I would have hated that. Yeah. Do you remember Stripe, the uh, really bad... Oh, yeah, the badass one. Badass one with his little mohawk. Yeah. Well, he was my favourite, of course. Well, he was everybody's favourite. He's the one that you remember. Well, the actor that voiced Stripe... <laughs> oh, yeah, go on. ...is Frank Welker. OK. Now, you probably don't know that name. No. Well, he is an American voice actor. He began his career in the 1960s and holds over 860 film, television and video game credits as of 2023. OK. Making him one of the most prolific voice actors of all time. Right. With a total worldwide box office gross of 17.4 billion, he is also the third highest grossing actor 
of all time. Good grief. Yeah. Welker is best known for voicing Fred Jones in the Scooby-Doo franchise. Oh, that's since, him. Since its inception in 1969. And Scooby himself since 2002. Oh, Scooby. Very good. Yeah, that's my impression of Scooby. That's very good. He also voices Santa's Little Helper and Snowball 2 from The Simpsons. Oh, okay. Garfield. Oh. Abu in Aladdin. You know, the little monkey. Yeah. And Curious George. This guy is the go-to guy. He is. Back to uh, Reginald Kenneth Dwight, yeah. a.k.a. Elton John. Elton Hercules, John. Please, Please. if you don't mind. In 1962, um, he, Elton John, and some friends formed a band called Bluesology. 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 Mm. And in 1965, they turned professional and mm. signed a contract with an agency which began hiring them out as a backing band for visiting American performers. Oh, right. And those included the Isley Brothers, Ooh. no less, um, Doris Troy. Oh. Now, Doris Troy, yes. that may be a name that rings a bell. Yes, she was a backing singer on Let It Bleed by the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. Which is from our very first episode very of this here Humble Podcast. of When One Thing Leads to Another. Exactly. Bluesology also backed Billy Stewart and Patti LaBelle okay. when they toured. Oh. Now, two colleagues of Elton John mm. in Bluesology yeah. um, were saxophonist Elton Dean oh, yeah. and vocalist Long John Baldry. Okay. And so that's how Elton John chose his name. Oh, right. In homage to these two members. Elton and John. Very good. Oh, I like it. Yeah, there you go. Now, interestingly, mm. certainly for us mm. as residents of Whitstable, mm. just down the road from Canterbury, yeah. Elton Dean, the bluesology saxophonist, yeah. um, he was an English jazz musician who was part of the Canterbury scene. Oh, yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, and he featured in the band Soft Machine. Wow, that's amazing. So there you go. Yeah. And Long John Baldry, who was the singer in Bluesology with yeah. Elton John, yeah. um, in the 1960s, he was one of the first British vocalists to sing the blues in clubs and shared the stage with many British musicians, including the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. Okay. And in a 1997 interview with a German television programme, Baldry claimed to be the last person to see singer Mark Bolan before Bolan's death on the 16th of September in 1977. Oh. Yeah, he just conducted an interview with Bolan for an American production company. He says just before Bolan was killed in the infamous uh, car crash. Oh, wow. And talking of the car crash, of yeah. course, it was Gloria Jones. Who was driving. Who was driving. She was the queen of Northern Soul. Of course. Famously, and had a hit in 1965 with Tainted Love, of she, course. She did. Later covered by Soft Cell, famously. Yeah. Um, she was driving the Mini when the fatal crash happened and she had been in a relationship with Mark Bolan for four years and they had a son together mm. called Roland Bolan. Roland Bolan. Roland, 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 Bolan. Oh, wow. Yeah, Roland Bolan. Great, love it. Um, is the son of Mark Bolan and Gloria Jones. Okay. And leading up to his death, Mark Bolan had become quite sensible with his money and he'd put said money in a trust fund right. however unfortunately he hadn't finalized the details so when he died poor gloria and roland received nada oh, nothing gold yeah um and it wasn't helped by the fact that he was still legally married to his first wife 
June Child, um, who he had never officially divorced. Oh, right, OK. And Roland has been quoted as saying, Dad's royalties were still going into the trust fund, but because Mum wasn't his legal wife and I wasn't recognised in law as having any rights to his estate because I was illegitimate, we weren't allowed to benefit. Oh, that's quite sad. Which is, uh, which is very sad, oh, isn't did, it? Did they get the money in the end? Well, I'm reading here. Oh, this is interesting. Apparently David Bowie paid for Roland to go to school. Oh, wow, yeah, because they were friends, weren't they? They were Bowen good. And Bowie, yeah. They were good buddies. Um, and he was, in fact, Roland's godfather. Ah, OK. Oh, good old David. Anyway, Mark Boland's legal wife at the time, June, died in 1994, yeah. and the problems with the Boland estate have now been settled. Oh, good. Um, yeah, only three years ago, at time of recording, Mark Boland's catalogue of songs and master recordings was sold by the Trust for £11.5 million and Roland is to finally benefit with a yearly allowance. Oh, good. good. Yeah. Yeah, that would, oh, that would have been awful. Poor Gloria Jones and Roland Boland. I was just thinking about the Mark Boland and Gloria Jones car crash and it happened of course in Barnes. Barnes, that's right. Which is very near to where we both lived for a time in London, isn't it? We that's used to right. go out in Barnes quite a lot. We'd go to the Bull and the Olympic Cinema. Yes, we did. And the Olympic Cinema, of course, was where the Rolling Stones yeah. recorded Sympathy for the Devil and they put that brilliant film of the recording yeah. there, didn't they? Yeah. And of course it's where the Beatles recorded well, quite a few things, but all you need is love. That all happened there. Oh, right. Because yeah. the tagline of the Olympic Studios was Abbey Road had the Beatles and we had everybody else yeah. because you name it. Yeah. They recorded their well, Prince, Madonna. Yeah. Um, like Le I say, Led Zeppelin did a lot of recording there as well. Yeah. But the Beatles did. They did record there. Ah. Yeah. Going off track there from what I've been researching. Another person who lived in Barnes. Can you remember? I oh, wonder? yeah. I think it, I think there's a blue plaque for Holst. That's right. Gustav Holst. Who, of course, wrote The Planets. The Planets Suite. Yeah, it's very good, The Planets. <laughs> do, you, do you know it? <laughs> I'm sure that Gustav Holt would be really pleased that you, uh, you've you given him a, a positive review there. The Planets was his big hitter. It is really good. And Mars, the Bringer of War, which is the opening piece of The Planets, it's very dramatic. Of and course. it inspired the music for the Star Wars films, composed oh, I... by... John Williams. John Williams, of course. Yeah, so you would be it would be very familiar if you if you listen to it. John Williams, did you know, has won twenty-five Grammy Awards, five Academy Awards, seven British Academy Film Awards, and four Golden Globe Awards. Wow. And with fifty-three Academy Award nominations, he is the second most nominated individual. After Oh wow, what a great question. I can't even imagine who would have been nominated yeah. more than that. I'm gonna have to give up. Yeah, Walt Disney. Oh Walt Disney. Walt Disney. <laughs> can't help but say that in a Glaswegian accent. So Star Wars, both the film and its score were immensely successful. It remains the highest grossing non-popular music recording of all time. Wow, okay. And Williams won one of his many Academy Awards for the best original score for that. Yeah. And of course, we know that he's partnered with director Steven Spielberg since 1974. Of course. Composing music for all but five of his feature films. Oh, okay. I thought this was worth 
mentioning. In 1993, mm -hmm. Schindler's List proved to be a challenge for Williams. And after viewing the rough cut with Spielberg, he was hesitant to score the film, being so overcome with emotion watching the cut. Yeah. He told Spielberg, I really think you need a better composer than I am for this film. And Spielberg then replied, I know, but they're all dead. Oh. <laughs> well, I found something very interesting out about John Williams, which I did oh, not yeah. previously know, and oh. I wonder if you did. Okay. John Williams' son is the lead singer of Toto. No. I kid ye not. Oh, wow. Joseph Williams. Amazing. I thought so. Although, I have to say, he joined in the late 80s, so it's not him who sang... Rosanna, Rosanna, or I bless the rains down in Africa. Oh, that was a good bit of harmony there, Bill. What? Unbeknownst to you. <laughs> <laughs> and this I found to be very interesting also. In the Disney film The Lion King, mm. Joseph Williams can be heard as the singing voice of the adult Simba. Wow. But going back to Toto, yeah. the other singer yeah. with Toto. Oh, the one who was Yeah, the one who had all the who the had big the big hits. hits was Bobby Kimball. Okay, Bobby Kimball. And I thought that this was a rather strange coincidence. In nineteen seventy-four, Kimball moved from Louisiana to Los Angeles, California, to pursue a full-time music career. Yeah. And whilst he was there, he joined three members of the American rock band. Three Dog Night. Oh, that's weird. The ones from... We've kind of gone full circle again. Yeah, the because... ones that Elton John was supporting. Exactly. And they released your song. Exactly. Oh, how funny. Yeah. So he and the three members of, th of yeah. Three Dog Night formed a band called SS Fools. Right, never heard of them. Neither have I. And they released one album on CBS Records, which was considered a commercial failure causing the band to be dropped from their label and to split up within a year and a half. OK, so that wasn't exactly a great success. But how funny, he joined members of Three Dog Night. Yeah, mm. yeah, that was a rather lovely, yeah. circular, yeah. fact-based thing, wasn't it? Got an interesting fact about the video for Rosanna. Rosanna, Rosanna. Go on then. The video for Rosanna yeah. is themed on the West Side Story. Okay. Yeah, and the lead dancer who plays Rosanna is Cynthia Rhodes. Oh, Cynthia Rhodes. Oh, you've heard of Cynthia Rhodes. Yeah, Dirty uh, Dancing. You're absolutely she right. She plays Penny. She does play Penny. She's an amazing dancer. In Dirty Dancing. And in the video for Rosanna, a yeah. then little known dancer, a certain Patrick Swayze. Oh, wow. Also appears in that video. Oh, well, you see, we've managed to get onto a favourite subject of mine. Dirty Dancing, otherwise known as the Star Wars for girls. Oh. <laughs> okay. Some fun facts for you. Go on. Especially for the eagle-eyed out there. Go on then. At the time of filming Dirty Dancing, yeah. Jennifer Grey, who plays Baby Houseman, of course. she was dating Matthew Broderick. He has apparently a very small cameo in the film. Does he? Matthew Broderick. Yeah, in the final scene. Apparently he's folding chairs in an orange shirt. And I, I've, I've watched it. I can't quite tell if it's him as I've only watched it on YouTube. And the quality is rubbish. So I need to get my DVD out and have a proper look. But apparently that's Matthew Broderick. Kenny Ortega 
was the choreographer right. for Dirty Dancing. Yeah. He was trained by Gene Kelly. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. They learned from the master. Also, Sarah Jessica Parker, who is now married to Matthew Broderick, she auditioned for the role of Baby. And both Val Kilmer and Billy Zane were considered for the role of Johnny. OK. Anyway, I can't imagine Dirty Dancing with anybody other than Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze. It's that iconic. <laughs> the filming started in summer. Mm -hmm. It was so hot, people were fainting. And delays in the shooting schedule pushed filming into the autumn. Right. Right, which required the set decorators to spray paint the autumn leaves green. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the famous scene, you know the famous scene where they're practising the lift in the water? Oh, I. They couldn't have any close-ups, any real close-ups, apparently, because their lips were blue. The water was so cold. Oh, wow. Yeah. Absolute misery. And they had to pretend it was all summery and warm. And get this, right? The music in the film is amazing. The soundtrack to Dirty Dancing <laughs> is one of my favourite Anybody would think you were a fan of this yeah. blooming film. Well... So rehearsals for the dancing and some filming used music from Eleanor Bergstein, who wrote Dirty Dancing. It's very loosely based on her life, by the way. OK. Yeah, they used music from her personal collection of gramophone records. When it came time to select the actual music for the film, mm -hmm. Jimmy Lenner was chosen right. as music supervisor. And Lenner opted to stick with much of the music that had already been used during filming. The soundtrack sold over 30 million copies. <whistles> Who is Jimmy Lenner? I was going to ask. He had previously produced albums and songs for John Lennon and Three Dog Night. Shut the front door. Thank you for listening to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please rate and review us on wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe, and that way you'll never miss an episode. We'd also love to hear from you, especially if we've got any of our information wrong, or you have some more fascinating facts about something we've talked about, or you could even suggest a subject for our starting point. Our email address is when one thing leads to another at gmail.com. A massive thank you to Justin Mitchell for letting us use his music as our theme song. It's a track called Homo Erectus, taken from his fantastical album called The Garden of Earthly Delights, which is available to buy from bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Acast for hosting us. Join us next week for another episode of When One Thing Leads to Another. Please note that all facts have been found on the internet and therefore we cannot vouch for their veracity. Mm -hmm.